it was because of Bitcoin that I was able to leave my previous job and concentrate on my passion or hobby by itself. And I wanted to share that story to other people that also struggle with this day-to-day -day routine of being in a rat race and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel by saving in Bitcoin. This is the Bitcoin Muse, and I'm Clay Ennis. This week, on what I'm calling the world's premier Bitcoin art podcast, I'm joined by painter Jure Kastelitz, whose recent large paintings evoke mythological tropes of old, melded with the emerging themes that Bitcoin inspires. He's got great experiences inside the oft-maligned contemporary art world and a family history directly affected by hyperinflation. He's a photographer who found paint was a better medium for exploring Bitcoin's unfolding effects on humanity. With some work measuring as large as two meters wide and equally tall, Jura's work is figurative, textured, colorful, and somewhat surreal and mysterious. Obviously, I'd encourage everyone to visit his website or Instagram feed to see his work for yourself, but if you're driving, I can say his work reminds me of Goga and Tahiti and Degas, mixed with Gustav Klimt and hints of the surrealist Giorgio de Chirico. Forgive my Italian. It's original and inviting that bears contemplation in its painterly subtleties. With titles like Pleb with a Laptop, or Mrs. Honey and the Badger, or P2P, they are smile-inducing nods to Bitcoin and Bitcoiners. Be sure to check them out at your leisure at jurekastelitz.com. That's J-U-R-E. K-A-S-T-E-L-I-C dot com or linked from thebitcoinmuse.com and the show notes. As always, I'd love if you could take a minute to rate, review, and share this podcast on your social feeds and with your real-life friends. I'm still waiting for a review from someone other than my dad or wife. And if we're ever going to break the ad model of the 20th century, I'd encourage you to listen on a podcasting 2.0 app like Fountain or Breeze. There, 10% of all streams and boosts go to OpenSats to help them fund Bitcoin and other free and open source projects. And now we join my conversation with Jure Kastelitz as we were discussing the turning of the tables where he's the guest on a podcast rather than the guy listening to them. And, you know, he's not my first guest who's never previously been tapped by the legions of other Bitcoin podcasts, but I'm going to put a feather in my cap for that and let you enjoy this episode of The Bitcoin Muse. It's a new thing. I, it's basically all the time I paint, I listen to podcasts, but I never participated. So this is the first. I guess you got on my radar with uh, Fractal Encrypt, who had put out a call. Yeah, exactly. It's um, I saw the call and um, because I basically I was part of the Lugano show last year and I felt that the vibe was a little bit different to the Bitcoin exhibitions that I'm used to. So yeah, I just go in touch and pose the question of would something that I do be appropriate? Would it be uh, something good to apply for the show in Madeira next year? And then Giacomo probably reposted it. And Mir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh, with, with, I don't know, 300, 400 followers, I don't have like a huge reach. <laughs> so. Well, tell me, why would you doubt your work to be worthy of a Bitcoin exhibition? So my background is basically more about from the contemporary art industry and not so much from, let's say, more like craft side, from photography to, to sculptures to all kinds of people that are attracted by doing Bitcoin art now from all kinds of levels. I mean, beside that, I was studying uh, photography in the UK. I also then stayed and worked in the industry. I worked for um, one of the more important Italian galleries in Cortum, let's say, in, in terms of contemporary art. You know? And so I could see from the inside how the business is, how uh, you know artists approach different galleries, work with different museums. I saw the other side first before I actually considered making any, any work about it. So then I kept looking for ways how to reach out to the Bitcoin community and then did a couple of shows with Bitcoin topics. And then I, you know, I confirmed it to myself that this is exactly what I want to do and that the crowd of people that it attracts is amazing. So it's kind of finding your own voice and finding your own 
way of working is quite rare in, in contemporary art business as such. Yeah, there's a lot of ambiguity, lots of bullshit, lots of, let's say, questionable art but for like huge amounts of money. But with, with Bitcoin, I kind of found a niche that I could talk about and just be part of the community that I kind of appreciate a lot. And from where I get all my content, you know, inspiration. Well, before we get into that, I think it comes up a lot, this world of contemporary art being problematic, frustrating for the, the Bitcoiner who values proof of work and other things, right? It's almost a cliche at this point. What was that world like? In New York, of course, it's uh, pretentious would be the word I'd use, but I'd be curious on your end, what is that world of European contemporary art like from the inside? <laughs> As you say, it's, um, it's kind of a secluded, it's very elitistic in a way, and it works very hierarchically. And also it's all about access, no? the best works go to the best collectors, the most luxurious artists go to the best and most powerful uh, collections in the world. And they kind of, how would you say, they kind of echo each other's tastes and flavors. And so there's a lot of art collectors that really appreciate new, new views, new ways of working, as you say, like proof of work. It's something that Bitcoiners cherish a lot. And more and more myself as well, because I can see it, you know, just the history of art, like pre-modern art, modern art and contemporary and super contemporary. If there's a proof of work, it's already kind of like a, it gives it a sign of quality in a way, like a, like a patina that some time has been spent on it. Well, I'm not going to say that quality contemporary art is absolute, you know, that it doesn't have a space for it, but it just, it's a living proof that culture and art is downstream of money, essentially. And if you have a bad money, let's say, people will be attracted by the speculation and the, the market, the, the pump and dumps. And it's the same in a Bitcoin space with shit coins, Bitcoin. It attracts the correct people to the correct side of the industry. So I wouldn't agree completely that it, it's just all bad. There's a lot of bad but it's up to the artist to kind of start changing that and like finding the niche where adding meaning to the painting that is real, that has virtues that the artist agrees with instead of just like a block of paint. It's on the artist to produce this sort of stuff and also then the demand will come for it. But if the supply is so, like everyone is an artist, everyone can do everything if there's no skill involved, no craft involved, no time involved, like with NFTs, you know, then also the quality is reflecting on that. But over time, I think the best stuff eventually comes to the top in terms of prices, obviously, but also the scarcity of the works and which collections they reach. So from the inside, from the industry, you can see like, why are certain artists where they are in their career and why are they attracting a certain crowd. And then just trying to swim within that business is, uh, for me, has been working okay so far and I hope that's <laughs> for the future, but it's still, Bitcoin is definitely the message at the end of the day. I mean. It's kind of fun to look at your resume, your CV, and you are quite accomplished. You've been showing your work all across Europe and it reads at first glance like any contemporary artist sort of establishing your CV and your credentials and your exhibitions. And yet you have a subversive message by a counterculture Bitcoin message now in your work. It's fun to see this sort of that overlay of all the contemporary trappings and knowing your work is Bitcoin centric. Yeah, I think, you know, like when you say this CV um, and the listings of the shows and stuff, that's kind of like a proof of work that the client wants to see, you know. And so the more you show, the more, let's say, if you have a museum show as a young artist, that's kind of rare because you either need to be talented, you need to work hard, or maybe in some cases it's also not the right people, but in the right places and spaces. In my work, I always want to work for the people that don't know about Bitcoin yet and not for Bitcoiners only, because I think the message to a Bitcoiner like yourself can be quite easily 
to distill some sort of ideas that I want to talk about and Bitcoiners want to talk about, but to go back a little bit, but my education was basically, I was studying photography and I was struggling to, to work in with Bitcoin as a topic because I didn't want to take photographs of, let's say miners or the mining equipment or something very technical and kind of just ugly and boring, something that you wouldn't like to put on the wall, let's say. So I find myself doing as many exhibitions as possible, trying to get into museums, reach as many people from the contemporary art side, but then also bringing in this message of Bitcoin that is not mainstream, obviously not, but always attracts people's questions and conversations, which is really, really nice because a lot of artists in the industry, that they don't really know how to speak about their own work, which sometimes is proof of bullshit. But sometimes it's just that they're not able to talk about it. And so, yeah, something like a balance in between that I don't want to talk only to Bitcoiners, but to a wider audience and also building a portfolio of different exhibitions that show the proof of work behind it and kind of like show the pedigree of the work. And I think that's timeless in a sense or centuries old now where artists establish their pedigree they establish their reputations in smaller galleries and build up. And I think that's probably wisely chosen rather than just the total middle finger, even though that evokes some of your recent work, <laughs> just re re rejecting it outright for a Bitcoin-only audience. Thinking about this more fully, you're playing a long game, which also is bitcoin yeah, for sure. It's my goal to show in as many non-Bitcoin exhibitions as possible to kind of spread the virus, you know, and make people start rethinking or, or just maybe have questions about like these certain topics that I want to share or have a certain point of view. But I also do not want to have a completely closed kind of a message in a vacuum. So that it becomes so sterile that it becomes either like a piece of design or a piece of furniture or a piece of something else. I always want to stay within the realm of contemporary art, which is a certain crowd, a certain way of being, a certain way of following who is hot, who is not hot, like which artists to collect, which ones to not collect in the same way, observing the rarity of that in a sense. I think that's well said. Because you might be thinking about it so far, the only artist who is really playing in that space. Maybe Alex Schaefer too, the guy who paints the banks on fire and stuff. He's very painterly and, a, and has been doing it a long time and has exhibited all over the place, teaches. So I think that's really cool. And I think that conversation that you're eliciting, because you can talk about your work, you become a kind of wonderful advocate at this frontier of aesthetics. And it's the one I've been really curious to explore with this podcast. And you seem to have really struck a beautiful balance of incredibly engaging, beautiful. Some of it reminds me of Degas, some of it's more primitivist. And yet the keywords that you surround your work with are all very familiar to a Bitcoiner. I wonder how you stumbled into that. I know that you use a little bit of AI. You're a photographer. Was there a moment when you said, I've, I've got to make Bitcoin art? Well, the way I got into Bitcoin was basically working for this gallery. That was my first job after university. And they gave me an option to either start paying for my pension or opt out. And because that was the first time in my life that I had any type of money on the side, as a poor student in in UK coming from Slovenia, I was, you know, I don't want to go too far into that, but it was kind of difficult financially. I mean. It's okay in terms of how you found Bitcoin. It's more, when did you say I need to make Bitcoin art? Yeah. So because of this, uh, this moment where I shifted my viewpoint into the future, like let's say that I wanted to start saving for the future and my art practice was kind of disappearing because in order to survive in London, you have to work for money and not so much for your passions or hobbies. Then something clicked in 2018 when I just started thinking like, these are very special ideas that Bitcoiners are talking about. These are very 
insightful and like good for humanity, good for, I just saw it on myself, how I started to behave. And so that was kind of doing a one plus one. I want to combine the two into an art practice. And then I just started devouring everything that I could read online. I started following everyone. I started reading <laughs> a lot of Bitcoin, listening to all the podcasts possible. And I still do that daily. And from there, I started taking notes about what really attracts me as an idea that I want to involve into my voice, into what I actually want to say as an artist and be very honest about it because, um, it was because of Bitcoin that I was able to leave my previous job and concentrate on my passion or hobby by itself. And I wanted to share that story to other people that also struggle with this day-to-day -day routine of being in a rat race and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel by saving in Bitcoin. And that's, that's what I've done. I started work. I worked for three and a half years and then I was comfortable enough to have enough money on the side to pull the plug and say goodbye, knocked out. And from being from the inside of the industry, working for the galleries to becoming the artist on the other side. And that was very transformational, but also very difficult because it really challenged my belief into what Bitcoin is. And I put a lot of weight into this decision that Bitcoin is just something that is going to survive for the future. And it's something that is going to allow me to do what I want to do. I quit about six months before COVID struck. So it made everything supremely bad. <laughs> Bitcoin price, price was obviously reacting to that as well. But then the bounce was incredible. So since then I moved out of London. I traveled with my now wife from Tenerife and Canary Islands to basically the whole Italy and just kept painting and putting everything online because that was the only way I could get my work in front of people. Yeah, during one of the lockdowns, I did an exhibition in, in an apartment in Tenerife in Canary Islands. And that was basically a sold out show talking explicitly about Bitcoin. And then I got offered a huge warehouse in Milan in Italy, where I showed then these large scale paintings that I was making in Canary Islands. And I just painted 21 honey badgers. First, the honey badger energy, we both know what it is. And 21 is obviously a very important number in Bitcoin. And that show was called Magic Internet Money. That basically sold out as well. And that's how I met Giacomo Zucco and Mir, his wife, in Milan. And since then, I've been um, showing in very conventional or contemporary art galleries less so in Bitcoin art pairs, but it's trying to strike the right balance with both. Do you consider your art a form of orange pilling or is it more subtle or do you even apply it to that? Are you just awakening people to bigger ideas rather than Bitcoin itself? So if there is a solo exhibition, let's say, and I have a very, very open agenda, what I'm trying to achieve with 21 and the honey badger, I want people to be attracted by the works themselves before I start talking about it and saying that it's Bitcoin, but I want to leave enough crumbs, even for somebody that has no idea about Bitcoin, has no idea about the mythology of Bitcoin to kind of attract them into it and see what happens. And then I also had this other thing where I would be offering Bitcoin cashback because, you know, like usually in galleries, the split between the artist and the gallery is 50-50. So the artist loses basically 50% out of the start of the sale. I really didn't like this idea and I, I wanted to do exhibitions by myself as well, where I would just have the extra 50% to play around with. And so I started returning it to the people that bought works from me in the form of Bitcoin. And I would do that by teaching them how to use a wallet, teaching them about self-custody, teaching them how to do the first transactions, all these very basic things in order to receive and send Bitcoin. And by that, let's say it was an orange pill that they took, but I have to admit like more or less all the people that did that already knew about Bitcoin. But other people that bought my works, they know that there is something about Bitcoin. They don't necessarily understand exactly what I'm talking about, but they cherish the 
maybe the, the enthusiasm or just like having conversations about it. Look, your work is beautiful in poking around your Twitter feed and your website, seeing them in context, especially that house in Puglia is really special. That's obviously somebody who values your work. <laughs> yeah, it's um, this whole idea of showing art by myself without a middle person, let's say a gallery or somebody that gives you space to rent. In order to free myself from that, well, as I told you, I did a show in Tenerife during COVID, then in Milan. And then because a lot of people saw these shows, the opportunities kept coming. So the next one after Milan was in Puglia, very close to Lecce. We found this beautiful Masseria with an empty frantoio, it's called. Um, it's where they used to keep olive oil, where they squeeze the um, olives. And so... This space was empty and it didn't really have any content. It was just the owners wanted to give it to someone to do something inside. It was very basic and kind of dirty when you had to clean it up and stuff. But me and my wife went down to, to Puglia. We moved there for a year and a half and we produced this exhibition that included more or less all the paintings that were mine. And we invited 18 other people that we like their work, either furniture makers, designers, perfume makers, all kinds of crafts people that came down to Puglia. We, we offered them a residence in our own house and they made these beautiful objects. And then we, we kind of wanted to speak about hyperlocality and being supremely global. So we were inviting a lot of Italian artisans that would be bringing their own products and stuff, but we would be telling them about the technology of Bitcoin, which is global and borderless and all of this stuff. So that was a joy to work on with so many great people and just trying to spread the word how to do more with Bitcoin or just like about this idea of hyper locality and the quality of living. Dude, I mean, just already your story is the dream, right? <laughs> to be young enough to pull the plug on the rat race and then weather the slings and arrows of COVID and be an artist and think originally. This 50-50 Bitcoin back is genius. <laughs> I wonder why more people haven't, I mean, the art will pay for itself a thousand times over in the future, right? Do they know when they go to purchase the piece for a price, do they know that they're going to get 50% back? Is that part of the discussion prior to their purchasing? It depends which kind of work they want to buy. In some cases, the amount of work that they want to buy. And then depending on that, I adjust the cashback, let's say. It's not always 50-50. In some cases, it's less, it's more. In some cases, it's, it's Bitcoiners. But I saw it, I think it was a company called Lolly or something like that. They were doing a, a Bitcoin cashback. And I just thought, well, that's kind of like <laughs> a mechanism that would be the easiest for me to do in order to teach people without being too preachy and without being too technical and talking about <laughs> the difficulty adjustment or something like that. And just start really at the beginning of, okay, you, you like this work. I give you this honey badger. I send you back a bit of an incentive to buy, um, get some Bitcoin in your own wallet. And what happens at the end was that because Bitcoin was fluctuating so much, a lot, I have maybe three or four people that returned back and bought new works for me with the profits of that Bitcoin that I sent to them at the beginning. So it created this, I hope, permanent loop for me and for them <laughs> for essentially being profitable for buying an artwork and also having a collection that I hope is going to reflect good in the future. I think it's genius and it's, um, it's such an obvious idea, of course in hindsight, good for you. I hope other artists take this on. I think the auction space is reasonable, but these relationships and this very tactile showing people and putting Bitcoin on their phones or wallet is really a, a next level orange pill and relationship building more than that. Yeah, because it's, uh, you know, you see a person in your eye and it's a, it's a completely different story than having a, an invoice to be paid to a gallery and then the gallery after 30 days, they send 50% to the artist, you know, it's just a transaction. I'm not trying to glorify that, but essentially what happens afterwards is 
the most interesting bit because they, even if there's a little bit of Bitcoin, they, they're going to start kind of following the price or maybe noticing it in the news a little bit more, see their curiosity where it leads them and kind of pushing them into accumulating more because if it works, why not adding more and more? And then suddenly there, there are maxis around me. There are now my friends and collectors. Yeah, great. What a way to build a community and to open people up to these ideas. Tell me your work. Can you give me a little idea of how it's created? How the idea is born, perhaps? And you can either choose one painting in particular or just in general. Can you give us some insights into how it comes about? I think I would like to talk about more in general because each painting has a very different story, but they also, because they're part of my own practice and my own plans to do exhibitions, they kind of fit together depending on what exhibition I'm working on. Where the one with 21 honey badgers was very much straightforward after reading the whole, um, what's his name? You know, when they, they rented the billboard and wrote Bitcoin is the honey badger of money. It was the guy that did Bitcoin cash afterwards, Roger Ver. Roger Ver, okay. It was that guy. I think he was renting this space on the billboard. Anyway, that gave it like a mascot value, you know, for a honey badger. But in general now, I read this book, Bitcoin is Venice by Alan Farrington, which completely shook my, my core basically because it was the first time that I actually realized what Bitcoin is doing more in a cultural way, where he starts to compare uh, Bitcoin to the city of Venice as um, a stable, anti-fragile, but also the first city that kind of freed itself away from feudalism and that kind of what that led to the Renaissance afterwards. So I'm very much interested in the art of that time and the ideas that were going around also through like Gutenberg, the, the invention of the press and what that did to the society and the authorities that were finally questioned or at least having a very bad time explaining why they deserve the pedestal and why not everyone can do what they do. And so that kind of gives it a more historical view of uh, what I look at for aesthetics and what I want to dig more deeper, just this sense of more timelessness and also kind of looking back at the ancients, like the Greeks or the Romans before modern art, let's say lots of artists were already looking at the ancients, uh, as like a civilized people that to which they could apply certain qualities and certain virtues. It was much easier to talk through them, through the, through the bodies of them through the stories, through mythology of that. So I want to kind of pull content out of this sense of history, of merging of different histories of how Venice, let's say, mixed like Byzantine culture with Italian, Roman, very local hyper-locality here in the Laguna. So this is one way that I look at what is the next content. And then it's just like, an enormous amount of scrolling on Twitter and <laughs> listening to podcasts really a lot. And then certain things really stick to me where this comparison to gold between Bitcoin and gold and how to represent this as a, as a type of digital gold, this really is a question that I try to answer for myself, how I can visualize Bitcoin in this shape. For me, it's really challenging and I want to give this to me myself as a challenge to think what is money and also how I can illustrate this mythology of Bitcoin because it's non-existent or it has a lot of orange B's, you know, <laughs> B as a, as a letter B. And I feel that's, at least for myself, like I, I don't find that super fascinating because it's so fast. It's, you know, you see a B, I see a B. I go away. I don't, I'm not that interested in like super easy metaphors. I like to speak more that goes a little bit longer back and maybe it's going to hold on longer for the future. But the logo of Bitcoin itself, I don't find it particularly aesthetically pleasing. So I'm just trying to find different ways to talk about these topics without using too much of contemporary 
visual language. First of all, I love that you're in Venice reading Bitcoin is Venice. <laughs> yeah. Did that add a certain weight? W was it resonating as you walked out to get groceries? It's, uh, um, I started reading it already when I was in, in Lecce, which is a beautiful Baroque city down in Puglia. But then reading about Venice also, I mean, I keep rereading the book because it's just full of so many metaphors and beautiful writing that, yeah, it's very, it's very cool. But yeah, having an excuse to live in Venice because of the book, <laughs> I find it very cool that everything's kind of falling in, uh, in its place and, uh, yeah, now being here, it's amazing as well. well it's beautiful, especially because you've made real what was metaphor. And now your art, by grounding yourself in this place, gives you room to explore these metaphors more, let's say, more mythically, to reach and tap into these allegorical mindsets that we have kind of lost. I'm okay with the Bitcoin B, and it was Chris from Scare City that, that equates it to a crucifix in Christian art. And so, of course, it's going to play a role, but it isn't in every bit of Christian art. And I applaud you. And maybe what's what I love so much about your work is that it is, it's really reaching for a visual allegorical space that's uncharted. Because as we know, Bitcoin is crazy, complicated, technical, blah, 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 right? Difficulty adjustment. And you're evoking these, these myths. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what I want to continue doing it's a there, there was a bitcoin uh, book for kids like a cartoon and it was purely about uh explaining through beautiful imagery the whole bitcoin thing and so i just kept thinking yeah we're bitcoiners we're such a weird crowd of people that you know we're from all over the world there's this culture of longevity of hyper locality of community but there's no aesthetic sense that would tie us all together in a sense like Christianity, as you say, has a very distinct look to its art, right? And so to look for an aesthetic that I'm also interested in, that I would like to put a picture of my own into my own living room, that kind of propels me further to complexify a little bit further, or at least try to reach, as you say and push the storytelling a bit further than the logo. Obviously, logos are very important for, in fashion, for example, right now, there's only logos everywhere I see. And it's associated with fast fashion as well. So I try to go as further away from these signifiers that are fast, right? Like I wanna speak about something that is more timeless because of what Bitcoin kind of promises, not promises, just gets out of people. It's Interesting, too, to use terms like mythology around a thing that's only 15 years old. And yet, it makes sense once you understand Bitcoin. But for someone who's hearing us talk, they're like, no way. You know, that's just a story. That's a fable. That's nothing. It's just, that's your imagination. Not that that's out of bounds. I think that as soon as Bitcoin is associated as a religion, people like to shut down when you say, oh, it's very religious, because they certainly get this image in their head, there's something fundamentally extreme about it. While with mythology, it's not such a loaded term. And so that's why I like to use mythology more, even though I, I absolutely understand that Bitcoin is very much religious in, in, in a lot of ways. It's just not attracting more people to where it's kind of, pushing people away from it because of this lauded word. When you think about the different mythic tropes, Oedipus or, or Prometheus, is there one that kind of, that you think fits best for Bitcoin or are you just more generally evoking profundity? So one of the ideas that I really love, and that's again from Alan Farrington, is that Bitcoin is a Ariadne's uh, thread. And it's from this story of, um, forget his name, Dionysus. Dionysus. Yeah. They went through the whole labyrinth to fight the Minotaur. And in order to get out of the, to get out of it after he killed the Minotaur, he was following the threat that Ariadne gave to him. So, uh, Bitcoin is not the sword, is the thread out of the, um, the labyrinth. 
yeah exactly and so that's something that i keep coming back to and i try to question myself how i can include this story but now it kind of merged into this personality that i keep reusing that i call miss honey and badger and so i keep thinking about this woman that has a type of thread and a badger somewhere you know a honey badger and this is something that I, i try to revisit because it really echoes with people that maybe see the story also applicable to them without necessarily talking about bitcoin because everyone needs the thread to save themselves to opt out to get out of the rat race or a certain situation so i think it's very general this topic is just to ascribe a meaning to a painting i don't want it to be just about bitcoin but it for me it definitely comes from bitcoin that that's what i try to do as an artist Uh, that's really cool. One of my laments is that we seem to have lost our mythic or allegorical mind, that we're very literal these days. We're very empirical, scientific, right? Trust the science. And an art has a unique voice, but it really does sometimes need to tap those things that are quickly vanishing from the culture. So it's nice to see you trying to rekindle that part of our brains. Yeah, it's just observing and following contemporary art. I always struggled with works that I didn't see the point of them, where, where I didn't see much meaning about them, or I found objects in a space that supposedly are loaded with some sort of politics or philosophies of some kind. And this is just my subjective taste. There's so many people that love this sort of stuff. They collect it, they put it everywhere. It's just not something that I want to do as an artist. I would rather speak about something that has a certain meaning that I'm very happy to discuss about. But primarily, firstly, that it's attractive to them on a visual level. The aesthetics is something that you keep coming back to. But then also that it's supported by a story that creates some sort of spark in you and not just, ah, there's another cube on the floor or, you know, a blank painting or a banana on the, on the wall, stuff like that. But I also cherish the, uh, I mean, I observe this culture that is just reflective of what we are and what we do with money. And so if there are jokesters that put bananas on the walls, absolutely go for it and sell it for as much as possible. I couldn't care less. Right. And that also kind of creates a thread of art history that will tell the future people how we were at this time. And so to not agree with what our contemporary art is right now, it's like being an old guy and looking at rap music saying, this is absolutely the worst, no? But like, I love certain rap. I love certain contemporary art that just makes me laugh. Also the banana. If I would have extra $80,000 and it would be nothing to me, and I would love to have a, an edition of Catalan on, on my wall, who is a, an iconic Italian artist, there's absolutely a jokester. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I would buy it, but there's so much other art that I would like to have before that is much more meaningful to me. That work is called The Comedian, is it not? Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he was well aware of his messaging. And I think that's a really lovely perspective that maybe would calm everybody down a little bit. That it is a reflection of culture. And if the money's broken and we have, we're in this state, to be angry at it is a little like the meme of the old man yells at whatever, banana. Yeah, exactly. Let's follow the string back and uh, return ourselves to a deeply aesthetic, mythic, meaningful art. Yeah, and just making something that you believe in, right? Like I, I will, even in 10 years, when I look back at topics that I'm talking about today, I hope that they will be relevant, but I'll definitely stand just right there in order to say stuff or still stand the same virtues about longevity, about community, about hard money, about using the best money possible, everything that Bitcoin kind of has the, the qualities and if that's reflected in the right ways then also art will develop 
in a way that Bitcoiners want it to be. Yeah, great. And you are making something. You are Your proof of work is obvious. Just to lighten it up a little, what are your favorite podcasts that you're painting to? Well, I listen to What Is Money Show with Breedlove. I listen to Save. I listened to two of your podcasts in the last 24 hours <laughs> with Muzi and the reading that you did of Hopshire at Twitter. Yeah. I really like that essay. There's Preston Fish, there's uh, What Bitcoin Did. I mean, I could go on and on, I think. <laughs> I think we share a similar playlist of sorts. They are addictive. I can't figure out if I listen to them to validate my beliefs or to encourage myself to keep hodling. I, it's just such a fascinating world. It's like a therapy session, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm still doing the right thing. Like last year when Bitcoin fell down to 15,000, that was the moment where I definitely needed some support for my conviction from Breed Love and the guys. Yeah, <laughs> so cool. Yeah, I remember writing my friend who was terribly worried. I said, sell a kidney. <laughs> exactly. I think we're out of it now, so it's going to be becoming easier and easier. I think someone commented the other day that they need to get back to painting. And I commented back saying that it's much easier painting on the green days than on the red days. <laughs> and I feel that's absolutely true. It's, it, it just gives you new, new inspiration and new, new energy to keep going. I even heard yellow was inspired to start creating more memes of late. So exactly. It's going to be. I think it's going to be an insane bull market. I've been in this since 2016 and I've followed a few ups and downs so far. I'm very excited about what comes next because it's just the amount of kind of affirmations that Bitcoin is, has its own space in this world is incredible. And there's more and more topics I want to open up through painting because of that. One that worries me a little bit is the, you know, they ignore you, they mock you or whatever, and then they fight you. I've seen rumblings of that from Odell in particular. I wonder if art serves as a shield or a sword, the tip of the spear, to get us through this fight. I think the young generation and the, out, you know, the U.S. is one country and there's also I come from Slovenia that used to be a, in Yugoslavia part of Yugoslavia and they after I mean Yugoslavia they had one of the worst inflations if not the world's the worst inflations in the world for about 30 years my father needed to go to buy jeans that were only available either in Austria or Italy in order to have them in Yugoslavia I keep hearing about these stories or having parts of computers bought outside of the country in order to import in because of this horrible inflation. It was impossible to, to kind of have generational wealth that just neighboring countries have, like Italy, Austria, right? In Yugoslavia, that's kind of unheard of. So any sort of richer person or above average person comes literally after we gain sovereignty. So I think all of these countries from where I'm coming from and from, uh, you know, African countries, all, all of this stuff, there's a certain need for this and not just an investment. And I think outside of the U.S. is kind of using this technology in order to keep it straight and like to do what it's meaning to do from the beginning. While in the U.S. it's kind of getting more financialized and there are custodians, there are middlemen they're trying to squeeze in. But for somebody that wants to fight inflation and their own quality of life, I think Bitcoin is absolutely easy to do without all of these mechanisms, these financial instruments that I have no idea how to approach or have access to. So I hope those people will keep it sincere and honest and like a money that is going to be good for the future. Obviously, there's always going to be a fight, but I think we already kind of won because of the genie's out of the bottle and more and more people are using it. It's just a matter of timing now, I would say. Yeah, I like couching it in the meek shall inherit the earth, biblical quote. The folks who need it will find it first. And those 
the Black Rocks of the world are late to the party, right? There's only 8% left. I absolutely love that. When I see Slovenia is always in between five top countries for Googling Bitcoin in the world, when you check Google Trends, I'm very proud of that. <laughs> Whenever I go back, it has a big influence on my, on my family back home, on my friends there. It's not a taboo topic to talk about it, to, to use a money that is different. We're used to having a money that is not ours because our own money is useless. So we started using the Deutsche Mark. We started using Lira for Italy. We, there was different types of inflations in Yugoslavian dinar. So they, they kept adding the zeros to the end. So just to use a better money is going to come very natural the sooner it gets bad. And so in some countries, it's already bad enough. They have a lot of adoption. In El Salvador, they, they do incredible stuff. There's uh, Nigeria is always in the talks about how much adoption there is for, for Bitcoin and not for the CBDCs that they try to basically force people to use. And so I have very high hopes. But people like Odell, they're obviously going to be the, the voices of keeping uh, Bitcoin sincere and honest money. Yeah, staying humble, stacking sats. Exactly. <laughs> the mantra. I've just started waking up every morning now and just saying Bitcoin is peace in a world that seems distracted and divisive. I'm going to just keep saying that. It is a bit of a, a shelter away from the bullshit, this, this stream of bullshit that comes every day. And then you have Bitcoin and there's this development, that development, people are using it here, there. It's just really nice to see it growing like this. Given that it is a kind of sanctuary, I've said a lot that the muses thrive in adversity when there's a real kind of, you have to struggle a little bit. And yet Bitcoin is a sanctuary. Are those irreconcilable ideas? Are you struggling with your art or, or the ideas or is it... Are you celebrating something? So at the beginning, before Bitcoin, it was, it was def definitely more of an exploration. It wasn't, it was more of um, finding my own voice. It was more important to, to see what's the topic that I could be um, helpful in participating in the conversation or adding something to the conversation. So it was very frustrating for me in the early days when I was still studying photography and stuff because I was looking always for some sort of tricks or things that are applicable to myself, but not too much to my personality or like who I am, where I come from and stuff like this. Because, you know, in the last few years, there's, there's a huge surge of artists that come with some sort of minority background. And so as a white male painter, I don't have the same platform to speak about something that interests me, right? Like it's, why would anyone care, let's say. But at the end of the day, I also come from a family that is not from a very wealthy. As I said, we don't have this thing of generational wealth in Slovenia. More or less all successful people from Slovenia that you might know, they all need to go out in order to succeed. From our sports people like Luka Doncic, the place for Dallas Mavericks to so like Slavoj Žižek, the philosopher, you know, or Melania of Trump, Melania Trump. And so it's always some sort of, you need to get out in order to escape the average because they really make it supremely average in Slovenia in terms of income, taxes, really kind of tying you down to a point of you're a good worker, go to the factory, do your job. But if you want to do something out of the ordinary, you need to go out. And so being a stranger in, in London, really struggling to have enough money to study, to even pay for tuition fees, getting loans and stuff like that, that already gives you enough of kind of struggle to find your own voice in what you're actually about. And if I wouldn't go through the history of my dad telling me the stories of Yugoslavia or my grandpa telling me the stories of Yugoslavia, I also wouldn't have the same appreciation for currencies or how to solve certain issues by using the right currency to save for the future, look at gold, stuff like this. And so it's just a very specific and subjective story to which I came through by first being a migrant outside and trying to start all over again by myself without 
any help of my community, my family, people like that. And so then you can kind of reach a platform to, to speak about these topics, but it needs time and a bit of a struggle. And now it's more about this kind of like awesome feeling to be able to share these narratives, these stories, these myths without the struggle for my daily bread, let's say, without the, oh shit, what am I going to eat next week? Do I have enough on my bank account to afford that? And so it comes from joy, but also recognizing my own history of what my family went through. Wow. Well, I look forward to following the thread that you're putting down, in a sense. You <laughs> said as we come out of the labyrinth of fiat. <laughs> I think we already have the thread. There's probably some swords somewhere. There's a bunch of us going into the labyrinth. I think we're going to be fine. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I can't wait to see what comes of your continued efforts. And I look forward to you making a bigger splash among Bitcoiners. As you say, you only have 300 followers. I'm not sure this podcast is going to be the ultimate platform for your jumping off, given my small listenership. But I think your work will speak for itself. And, and uh, that's a little like once you see it, you can't unsee it with Bitcoin. I would say the same of your work. Oh, amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I'm more on Instagram. There's a lot of art and contemporary art and collectors and also obviously a lot of bullshit, but it's probably the best platform for contemporary artists to kind of show their work. But I also try to do it on Twitter because it's my window to all the Bitcoin stuff. So if I, I didn't really share too much so far. And if I start doing that more regularly and having conversations, people like yourself and i'm super happy when people reach out happy to talk well i thought it was cool to watch the little conversation between you giacomo and samson around nfts and and trying to figure that space out we won't get into it today but that's fun to watch and and thought that was a really sincere and interesting discussion around the the role art can play and on the bitcoin blockchain maybe to be continued for sure. Yeah. Happy to do it. <laughs> Look, man, thank you so much for making the time and for sharing your story. You're, you're really, uh, again, living the dream. If Venice was the start of the first Renaissance, then you might be in the heart of the next one. Though I know El Salvador is trying to grab the limelight. Maybe it's something about Venice. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a decentralized Venice, I guess. A bit of El Salvador, a bit of Rio Venice, a bit of New York, where you are. Yeah, I think it's going to be from everywhere. So I think it's going to be the best one so far. Yeah, let's bring it. I love it. All right, man. Well, thank you. That's a nice way to close. Thanks so much for having me. There you have it. Links to the topics we discussed and to Yuri's work are in the show notes and at thebitcoinnews.com. Please remember to rate, review, and most of all, share this podcast with the world. Let's try and raise the profile of art and beauty in this world, all too often dominated by macro doom and gloom and divisiveness. Let's instead share inspiration about Bitcoin and those creating Bitcoin art. Thanks to my brother Brandt for his music, to you for listening, and to Jure Kastelitz for sharing his time, energy, and contemporary mythos with the Bitcoin muse. Onward. <laughs>